All right, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 22 to 24. And as you're turning there, I want us to think about this. There are a thousand ways for you to set yourself apart from people around you. Right? You can tell yourself that you are better than other people because of the way you look or because of the kind of job you have or the way you talk or where you live or how you dress or how much money you have or the skills that you have or the things that you've accomplished. And we could go on and on and on. There are all kinds of ways that we can tell ourselves we're better than people around us. Now, of course, you should be grateful for the good things God has given you, the things he's allowed you to accomplish, the gifts he's given you. But where we get into trouble is when we start patting ourselves on the back for those things and looking down on other people who lack them. And this is the attitude uh, that we see in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Right? You all know this story. Jesus tells the story of a, a Pharisee and a tax collector, both who went down to the temple to, up to the temple to pray. And Jesus says, the Pharisee, This is in Luke 18. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So this Pharisee was a very religious man. He did a lot of things that looked really good. And he was proud of the things he had done. He thanked God that he was not like all those other sinners out there, especially like this tax collector over here. Because he thanked God, we might think at first that he's on the right track, but Jesus makes very clear, or Luke makes very clear, that Jesus is telling this parable not for us to be impressed with the Pharisee, but to expose the Pharisee. Luke 18 verse 9 says that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Luke is telling us, Jesus is telling us this parable about a Pharisee who thought that he was better than other people because he was righteous before God because of the things that he had done, the things that made him different. And he treated other people with contempt because he thought that he was different. He thought that he was better. But he was wrong. The rest of the story, the rest of the parable, tells us that the tax collector, who knew he was a sinner, who knew he was not better than anybody else, he cried out to God, confessed that he was a sinner, and asked for mercy... And Jesus said it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who went home justified, meaning went home counted righteous by God. In Romans chapter 3, Paul is making a similar point. Paul is telling us in these verses that what Jesus said was true about the Jews, the Pharisee and the tax collector were both Jews, Right? But one thought he was better than another when he wasn't. Paul's saying what Jesus said was true among the Jews is true of all people. It's true of Jews and Gentiles, true of the whole 
world that when it comes down to the fundamentals, when it comes down to those things that are most important, there really is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles or anyone else. That we are all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking and will take us down with it unless we trust in the one person who can rescue us and bring us to safety. So let's look together at Romans chapter 3. We're gonna, uh, let me just start in verse 21 so we don't have to pick it up in the middle of the sentence. But we're going to be focusing on verses 22 and 23 and 24. Here's what Paul says beginning in verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the first thing that Paul, the first point that Paul is making that I want us to notice this morning is this, that there is no distinction. Right? That's our theme this morning. There is no distinction. And Paul is going to tell us that there is no distinction among men in two particular areas, in sin and in salvation. All right, so the, the general idea is there's no distinction, and then the specifics are there's no distinction when it comes to sin, and there's no distinction when it comes to salvation. Now, we're working our way very slowly through this paragraph because it's very dense, it's rich and full of important truths. Paul has packed some of the most important things he has to say in the whole letter of Romans. He's crammed them all into this one little paragraph. And so we're, we're taking it piece by piece because we don't want to miss anything. So what we've seen so far in verse 21 and 22 is this. That apart from the law, God has revealed a way for sinners to be made righteous. And what the law tells us is that there is none who is righteous. Not one. The law is, was given by God to reveal our sin, to reveal our unrighteousness. But Paul says, the good news is that now, with the coming of Jesus and His death and resurrection, God has made clear that there is a way that He will give His righteousness to those who are unrighteous. So we can't stand before God, we can't be in God's presence, we can't enter heaven on our own because we are unrighteous and God is righteous and holy. But God has decided, determined, made a way to give His own righteousness to us who believe in Jesus Christ so that we are counted righteous and brought into fellowship with Him and made able to be in His presence by that gift of of grace. So that's what he was saying in verses 21 and 22. And at the end of verse 22, what he says is that this righteousness is for all who believe. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. It's not just for people like you or just for people that are not like you. This is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And so now Paul is beginning at the end of verse 22 to explain why that is so. Because for a long time, and you have to sort of try to put yourself 
in the shoes of a first century Jew. For a long time, it has seemed to the Jews that God was working for them and them alone. That God was for them and against everybody else. Now, of course, that was not true. God had always planned to bless all the nations through the Jewish people from way back in the beginning with Abraham. But the Jews had begun to think that God was working exclusively for them. And now here comes Paul, and Paul says to the Jews, it ain't just about you. What God is doing in Jesus is not just for you. It is for anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus. And you might say, well, why do we need to hammer on this? Most of us are not Jews. We're a long way from the first century. Of course the gospel is for everyone. Well, here's the thing. It is still easy for us to think that the gospel, what God is doing to save people and bless people, is mainly or even exclusively for people like us or people that we like and not for those people out there that are not like us that we don't like. That is a natural, sinful, human tendency that we all have. So when Paul says to the Jews, it's not just about you, we also need to hear him saying to us, it's not about you either. This gospel is not exclusive to any group of people, any kind of people, any type of people, any color of people, any economic class of people, however you want to divide people up. This gospel is for everybody. For all who believe, Paul says. And this is, this is a theme that runs all throughout the letter. Later in chapter 10, verses 11 and 13, Paul says, The scripture says, everyone who believes in him, that's in Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction, he says, between Jew and Greek. There's one Lord, that's Jesus. There's one way to be saved, by faith in Him. And anyone and everyone who calls on Jesus is going to be saved. So, when we think about ourselves, and we think about the people around us, right, we should think of ourselves before God as basically the same, and not different. Right, we should not think that God looks more favorably upon us than upon somebody else or some other group of people because of some distinction we have that we like and think God must like too. No. We're all in the same boat. There's no distinction. The differences, the things that divide us when, when it comes to standing before God don't really matter that much. They just don't. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. The gospel is, is for all who believe, he says, for there is no distinction. That's his theme. And then here's the first specific area where he says there's no distinction. Verse 23. For, he's continuing to explain, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the first reason, he says, why there's no distinction among men is because all men have the same problem. All people have the same condition. All of us 
have sinned against God. So if the Jew says, but we're God's chosen people. We have the scriptures. We have the promises God gave to Abraham. God has been working through our uh, nation for hundreds of years. Paul would say, yes, all that's true. All that is good. All those are privileges that God has given to you. But what have you done with them? Have you kept the law that God gave you? Have you always trusted the promises that God gave you? No. You have sinned. This is what Romans chapter 2 is about. The Jews who look down on the Gentiles because of the Gentiles' sin. Paul says, you know, you've got a finger pointing at them, but you've got fingers pointing right back at you because you break the very law that you're so proud of that you think makes you special in God's sight. It is a privilege, but a privilege you've squandered. You have sinned and rebelled against God. Well, what about the Gentiles? He spent most of chapter 1 explaining how the Gentiles who didn't have the Scriptures still know God because God's revealed Himself in creation. They still know He's there. They still know they ought to worship Him and thank Him and praise Him. And they don't. Instead, they worship created things. They worship idols. They've exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles and all the rest. And God has handed them over to a flood of debauchery and sexual immorality and murder and anger and all the rest. Paul's made very clear that there is no one who is an exception to the rule that all men have sinned except for Jesus himself. Right? When he said it in chapter 3, uh, verse 10, that none is righteous, no, not one, he meant it. Only God is righteous. There's no man who's righteous on his own. Paul quoted a litany of scriptures from the Old Testament to prove that very point. And there were more he could have quoted and didn't. Genesis 6.5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 8.21 says, The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And not only is that the consistent testimony of Scripture, that's been proved by our experience. Don't we know this to be true of all the people around us? Often victims of their sin, either of action or of speech. People hurt us. With their words, people hurt us with their actions. They sin against us. They don't love us as they love themselves, which is one of the great commandments, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We know they don't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know that's true of ourselves, too. Even if we think we have good excuses for our sins, none of us, I don't think, would dare to say that we never sin that we are righteous, that we're the exception to the rule, that we always love God with all that we have, that we always love our neighbor as ourself, that we always do what we ought to do. None of us do that. We know we don't do that. All have sinned, Paul said, and all fall short of the glory of God. Now, even though probably almost everybody in this room has memorized Romans 3.23 at some point in their life, I feel like this... Second half of this verse is not something that we typically understand very well. The first part's easy, right? All have sinned, 
But what does it mean that all falls short of the glory of God? I mean, we know that God is more glorious than us because He's the Creator. He's God, and we're not. But that's, that's as it should be. That's not a, a problem, right? But Paul here is talking about a problem. What is the problem that Paul is telling us about when he says that we all fall short of the glory of God? That's not something I understood really well until uh, lately. And a, a friend was explaining this to me and I think made a lot of sense of it. And then as I was reading commentaries, turned out a lot of smart guys think this is what Paul means. And so I think he's right. But here, here's, here's what he said. Right? When it says that we fall short of the glory of God, what he's talking about is the fact that Adam, when God made Adam in the beginning, he made him in the image of God. Right? And all men and women are made in the image of God. Adam was made in the image of God, which means he was meant to reflect God's glory. He's the image of God. He's meant to show to the world what God is like, to reflect the glory of God. But what did he do instead? Instead, he sinned. He rebelled against God. And so though he still is made in God's image, that image has been distorted. He does not rightly reflect the glory of God anymore. And neither do we. Because we have all sinned like Adam, right? We all are um, in Adam's line. We all have suffered the consequences of that first rebellion, that original sin, right? Uh, And as a result, we have what people call original sin. We have a sin nature inside of us because of Adam and Eve's sin. So all of us fall short of what God made us to be, in other words. God made us in His image to reflect His glory, but because of our sin, we don't. Instead of reflecting the glory of God, we distort it by acting in ways that are inconsistent with God's character. We're made to be like God in the sense of being just and gracious and merciful and loving and faithful as God is. But instead we're selfish and hurtful and prideful and rebellious and a whole list of things that God never intended for us to be. And that's true of all of us. We all lack the glory of God. So none of us are what God made us to be. And that's a serious problem. That needs a solution. Right? But the first, before we move on to the solution, the first thing we need to, to note is, again, when we look at the people around us, if we think of ourselves, just for a moment, uh, apart from Christ, right? think, if I were not a Christian, if I did not have Jesus, if God had not saved me, I would be no different from anybody else. I would be lost, like all the lost people around me. I'd be worthy of sin, or worthy of judgment and wrath and condemnation, just like everybody else. And it wouldn't matter what political party I belonged to. It wouldn't matter what kind of job I had. It wouldn't matter what kind of money I had. It wouldn't matter. None of that stuff would matter. Because the fundamental reality for me would be that I'm a sinner lost and worthy of condemnation, worthy of judgment. So when we think about the people around us, we need to remember that. The things that we are so proud of, the things that we think distinguish us and make us better than other people, they're not going to count for a whole lot of anything 
in the end. When we stand before the judgment seat of God, that stuff's not going to matter. What you did with that stuff is going to matter. But the things you thought, I thought, distinguished, you distinguished me, it's not going to matter. What's going to matter is, did you trust Jesus? Did you, or did you go your own way? Right. So Paul says, there's no distinction among us. Right? We've all sinned. We all fall short of what God made us to be. So we're all in trouble. Right? Because, I mean, think about this. What do you do with things that you have made that don't work? Right? You build something and it breaks. What are you going to do with it? You're either going to fix it, or if it can't be fixed, you're going to throw it out. Right, if you've got a fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit, what are you going to do? You might fertilize it a little bit, and if that doesn't help, dig it up. It's just taking up room. We are creatures with minds and wills, right? Unlike trees and things we build, right? We have a mind and will that God has given us. What is God going to do with us if he made us to be one way and we refuse to do what he made us to do? He's going to either change us by his grace so that we do become what he made us to be, or he's going to justly judge us, throw us into the outer darkness. That's the problem that all people face. That's why Paul says there's no distinction among us when it comes to sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's another way that there's no distinction, and that is when it comes to salvation. Because we are all in the same boat, because we all share the same problem, Paul says we also share the same solution, at least all of us who will share it. All of us who will receive it, who will accept it, who will believe it, we are all going to be saved the same way. Because we all have the same problem we need to be saved from. And this is verse 24. And he says, so there's no distinction, for all have sinned, right? There's no distinction in sin, and are justified, all people who are going to be justified, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. And there's another example that Paul just squeezing everything he can into that line, right? What is he talking about? When he uses that word justified, what he means is what he was talking about earlier in verse 21 and 22. Uh, justification is the big word for God giving you his righteousness, God counting you righteous. So all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous, but everyone who's going to be righteous is going to be made righteous the same way. They're going to be justified. They're going to be counted righteous by God. How? By His grace as a gift. So nobody's going to stand before God righteous because of what they've done. What we do consistently proves that we are not righteous. It's what God does that makes us righteous. God gives us as a gift. We don't deserve, right? That's grace. God gives us as a gift. We don't deserve his own righteousness. Credits to us. Credits to our account. 
His righteousness so that it becomes ours. And how does that work? Well, it happens, he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, when he went to the cross, he purchased our redemption. He set us free by paying the price necessary for our sins to be forgiven. Right? And Jesus told his disciples this before he went to the cross. Matthew 20, 28, Mark 10, 45, Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, what is a ransom? A ransom is a price you pay to set someone free, to redeem them. Right, so Paul's saying, through the redemption that Jesus accomplished by paying for our sin on the cross, through that death, it has been made possible for us to be counted righteous by God's grace. Right? So that means when we talk about justification, being counted righteous, that's not just like a, a theological concept, not just something we can scratch out on paper and have a definition. This is directly connected to what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It is through his death, not only that our sins are forgiven, but also that we can be counted righteous before God. Now, when Paul says all this in these verses, right, that we are, there's no distinction among us, right, that we're all sinners. And that all who are going to be saved are saved the same way. He's really just unpacking for us, unfolding for us this, the theme he laid out in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. When he said, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For... In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this is what he's been saying from the beginning. This gospel that I'm preaching about Christ crucified and risen, it is for all people, and it is able to save all people who will believe in Jesus. Because if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Him, then in this gospel, you not only get forgiveness of your sin, you also get the righteousness of God credited to your account. Which means, here's the second big thing, application-wise. Not only are we all sinners, and that ought to affect the way we think about the people around us, right? But for all of us who are Christians, for all of us who are in Christ, that means that all of us who are brothers and sisters, we share the most important things in common. That's why in the church, there ought not to be differences and divisions and one group looking down on another group for this or that reason. Right? We all share the most important thing in common. Right? If we start getting puffed up about something, well, we're, we're good at this. Or we're special because of this. Then we just need to ask ourselves this question. When you stand before God, what's the one thing that's going to matter? The one thing that's going to matter is, are you in Christ? Do you trust Christ? Because outside of Christ, you've got nothing. I've got nothing. 
Outside of Christ, I'm lost and condemned. But in Christ, I have everything. In Christ, I have forgiveness. In Christ, I have God's righteousness. In Christ, I've been adopted into God's family. In Christ, I'm welcomed into God's presence. And that really, when you come down to it, is the only thing that matters. And that's the thing that unites us, or ought to unite us. This is why Paul says in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Obviously those distinctions don't go away, but they don't really matter that much. They just don't matter that much. What matters is that you are in Christ. So don't be like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. Don't be puffed up with all the stuff you think is great about you, the things that you've done, maybe even the things that you've been given. Remember that if it was not for Christ, you'd be in the same boat as that tax collector over there. You are in the same boat as that tax collector over there. The only thing that makes a difference is whether you and that tax collector have called out to Jesus. And if you have... You have reason to link arms. You have reason to love one another. You have reason to be united together, to work together, to love each other. We all have the same problem, and there's only one solution. And both of those things ought to bring us together. Let's pray.